dog hair on her dress was all I remember about her. I'm sure she thought even less of me. An artist, a designer. I drew her figures on notebook paper on the car ride home. In and out of tunnels, streets I never knew I missed. I've sewn a suit from the shirts off the backs of strangers. She greets me in the entryway, my reflection in the mirror at the end of the hall becoming hers. The opportunity cost of stability is only matched by the luxury of comfort. What if you could share the deepest corners of your mind without revealing your identity? Would you be more honest, more reflective? If you could offer a piece of yourself, arms outstretched and faceless, what would you say? Would you share a memory that formed you or the thoughts that keep you lying awake at night after the world has been put away? And who would it touch? Who would hear it with the familiar resonance of a stranger speaking your name? Project Anonymity is a platform for sharing these internal workings, pieces and fragments of each other in the form of stories and essays. Work can be submitted on an anonymous platform and will be read by the hosts. There won't be discussion, judgment, or questioning. Just the solace of relatability, the beauty of releasing some portion of oneself, and a settling of the score for the next round of growing. Under the guise of anonymity, Truths once held back by the dam of expectations spill forth, painting the walls without preconceived perceptions, demanding acknowledgement from every witness. The words allow for both an individual and universal chorus at once, rising above our heads, solid, steady, not alone, we forge on. Committee on special education meetings are a teacher's key indicator that the year is on a downward slope. Spring break was next, which rolls right into field trips, fire prevention day, Memorial Day weekend, and then beloved field day. Not to mention a plethora of school district specific activities and plans that have long since been tradition. I sat there in a light pink blouse that I was so proud of myself for fitting into. Meeting after meeting, happy families after happy families. The year was once again rounding out on a high note. That was Wednesday, March 11th. I didn't see any of my students that day due to the hour-long meetings I sat in, all day, in my pink blouse. My two-year-old son woke up puking on Thursday morning. I called in a substitute. Friday was a professional development day for the teachers. As much as I had missed the students, I knew I would see them on the following Monday. As of 9 a.m., that is what I had thought, without a single doubt in my mind. The day went on and we worked collaboratively on what we thought would be mythical online learning platforms. We learned about amazing websites that we could supplement the students' learning with each day. Little did we know that what we had so quickly learned through laughs with colleagues and questions for the trainers would be our way of life for the remainder of the sacred school year. The staff was called into an emergency meeting at the end of the day where we were told we would not be returning for two weeks. The room was solemnly silent, no facial expressions of any kind, monotone voices and monotone faces. With the news, we were given about 15 remaining minutes 
to grab what we wanted immediately. I took my plants home, my plants that my students had so carefully taken care of, my plants. The following Monday, the staff met for one last time at school as an entire building. My heart breaks thinking about the timeline of those six consecutive days. The weekend in between was a blur, honestly. How could this even be happening in my lifetime? Did I even hug my students goodbye that last Tuesday? Had I said my ritualistic goodnight to every single one of them as I let them out the door at dismissal? Now I sit here, eight weeks later, and I am still thinking those thoughts. My life has changed. At first, I felt like I was fired from a career that was my passion. I felt as if my breath had been taken away, if that makes sense. I realize rationally it hasn't, but I do feel a loss in my heart that I am not in the classroom with a group of children that I can make a difference with. Instead, I am home with my own two children, two and six, and I view this time as the maternity leave that I never had the chance to take with them. The sunny side? Our days are filled with rock throwing in the stream, daily walks, salamander catching, hugs and snugs, paints, play-doh, forts, and time that I would never have gotten to be a part of them with. I can see my daughter growing and making growth in her eating. I can hear my son using more words, and I can hear his speech clearer now. The stormy side. Our days are clouded by online learning for three to five hours, tantrums of an ignored child, phone calls and text messages from parents of my students at all hours, emails from students when they can't figure something out, cooking, cleaning, laundry, teaching, planning, and too much screen time for us all. Patience has been tested. Pausing has happened more times than can be counted so we can sit on the floor and see their feelings in a hug. The unknown messes with my mind because it allows my mind to wander. I cannot imagine what it does to a child. Shamefully, my search engine will show jobs teachers can do besides teaching and strategies to cope with feeling overwhelmed. I consider myself a level-headed person. So if I am feeling this way, how are others feeling? How are my students feeling? How are my colleagues doing? The answer is always going to be the same. It depends on the day. That is one thing I have learned. It depends on the day. The unknown can drive even the sanest people a little bit batty. But another thing I have learned is that you cannot control everything that happens to you or around you, but you can control how you respond. With that, I am choosing to stay positive, to think that this is a means to an end and we will be together again, saying our ritualistic goodnights as we leave out the door. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, somewhere. Every morning when I open my closet to get dressed, I see that pink blouse hanging and I think about that day in those meetings, happy families after happy families. I remember exactly what I had worn that Wednesday, almost like when you remember what you had worn when something tragic occurs. Like how I remember exactly what I was wearing when my son fell out of my car in his head and we went to the ER or how I remember what I was wearing at my mother's funeral, even at my grandmother's funeral. I haven't worn that blouse since March 11th. Nothing tragic happened that day. It was quite a positive day, in fact. But it was the last day that was somewhat normal, somewhat what life was like before that Friday happened. I will wear that blouse again one day. I will look at it and say aloud, one day I will wear you. And we will have happy families after happy families coming into our school building.
someday. I'm not worried about catching COVID. I'm deemed essential by my customers, at least. I control my environment and take precautions as I see fit. My clientele understands the risks that I have to take, and they appreciate me. I dictate my prices, so I make sure of it. No, I'm not scared of catching COVID. I'm scared of it getting me caught. Due to my profession, I've always had split personas. I keep my professional life and my private life completely separate and completely to myself. I do this for me and for everyone else in my life. I do it for me because I've always felt I've had two sides of me and this career allowed, even encouraged, that duality. But things have changed so much during quarantine and it has become increasingly hard to keep the separation that allows for my and my world's existence. My covers have worn thin and I'm having to do this balance act on a much more narrow surface. I fear my wife is catching on. No, not catching on, I'm too good for that. More that she's growing suspicious and that is the seed of discovery. I can't have that and whether she knows it or not, neither can she. That kind of unearthing would send waves through our and our children's world. And at a time like this, we can't do that. I worry about COVID catching me. I can wear a mask, wash it, and wear it again. And I can tell my kids the quarantine is just a vacation for Mother Earth. But I can't as easily sanitize or romanticize the lives I lead. We did this all wrong. We ruined our chances from the beginning. And we sit here now with consequences we cannot undo because we can no longer do what we did in the beginning. Within a weekend of stay-at-home orders, museums went virtual. If I wanted to go to a museum that I never took haste to visit before and was told I now couldn't, I could now do so from my living room. Internet moms figured out if we mimicked the school day within our homes, we'd be no worse for wear. Mo Willems started teaching my kids how to draw, and I would listen in because his voice was so soothing. He had this sort of voice that makes you feel as though you're being led in meditation without having to visualize a lone house on the cliffs of Dover, waves crashing below. My friends and I would Zoom, although I was later to the invites there, but I'm not bitter about it. I did some yoga here and there, and before the weather turned bleak, walking around the neighborhood lake kept me hopeful, sane even. But here we are, day closer to 100 than zero, and the novelty is gone. If it weren't for the weekly videos about the good news of the week, I'd have no reason to believe there was any. April teased a few warm days, but May has been crueler. I wonder what it's like to quarantine in South California or Texas or anywhere warmer than here. Are you all happier? I've never been to Seattle, and I've learned that excessive rainfall stats happen in a cluster of time, which is to say it should be bearable. It feels as though it has rained this entire quarantine and being a relentless cluster of time certainly hasn't softened the blow. Without week one Willems, I'm lost. The art projects are tapering off, or more accurately, the will to supervise them has. School is rushed because I just want to be left alone again. I'm no longer thankful for unrelenting company. I think it took less than a week of rain to render us so inactive we had forgotten how to want to be moving. And my own weight gain doesn't shame me for vanity's sake 
but it sure feels the desire to run or twist or stretch or turn my already zoned as an office bedroom into a fucking home gym as well. And I don't want to feel sore on top of feeling so bored. Back when I was young enough to scream sad lyrics from a 98 Nissan Sentra, I'd always pause on this line. Loneliness and boredom start turning into anger, to hate. And though I felt I knew enough then to agree, I've seen this happen now in real time. We went fast and hard in the beginning, eager bunnies, but it tapered off because of a setback or six, emotional, financial, or otherwise. We've stopped trying to offer each other some entertainment, some solace. We left out yoga one day or Mo Willems the next, and before we could realize we were no longer trying to conquer quarantine. We were merely trying to survive. And if the earth without art is just eh, then life without living is just boring. And we are bored. So now, day closer to 100 than zero, we seem collectively angry, hateful. For some, that's a fuel that gives them purpose, but not me. I don't want to be angry or hateful or trying to figure out who to blame when the people doing so are usually the ones that say things like, God has reasons, everything happens for a reason, live and let God. Why not now, guys? Why is it now, when we many are suffering, truly suffering, that you're ready to sleuth it all despite reality? Why aren't God's reasons enough? Why is it part of God's plan when women are raped and tortured by their partners? But this pandemic, no, this is a big scheme, a hoax, a step toward mind control. I don't wanna be angry or hateful, but fuck if I don't resent the newcomers to questioning status quo. Where were you before? Why are you here now? Why am I stuck hearing your voices ring on in clashing tones? when I could be listening to Mo Willems, softly easing me toward the shape of a pigeon's body. After a month, I was ready to get out of the house. I wanted a slice of pizza. Two weeks after that month, I was starving for one. One place near me had already closed down. Another spot was open, but they would only sell me a whole pizza. I didn't want a whole pizza. After six weeks in the house, I had done enough for Fraining to finally stick to this diet. I kept driving and driving, using Google Maps the best that I could, but still just driving. Before COVID-19 came into our lives, I'd spent the last few years working as a bartender in the Washington, D.C. area. I love the chance that type of job gave me to interact with people. It's funny. That's the only thing they really hire you for in that job. But after a while, I wasn't sure why it mattered how you could interact with someone. Society had changed so much that no one wanted to interact with you anymore. And I'm not talking now, I'm talking before. As experience would have it, I had grown used to approaching tables to be greeted with a, I'll have a water please, coming from their eyes buried inside of a screen, filling them with the latest stack of concerns this world has to offer. Everyone did it a little differently. Some would look up in a way as they said it. Others never lifted their eyes from the screen. Sometimes you felt dismissed. Sometimes you even felt like you were bothering them to dare to inquire what they needed from this establishment that they had chosen to come to in the first place. It's odd. Either way, it's life. And some people were great about it. Others were rude. That's life too. This one girl used to come in with dark brown hair and pretty blue eyes, one of my favorite combinations. Sadly, 
She was one of the ruder ones. She barely ever looked up. Something on her screen was always more entertaining. So she took it upon herself a time or two to just put her hand up at me while she finished what she was doing. In doing so, she showed me a set of burn scars at the base of both wrists, with one partially covering a tiny rose tattoo on her left hand. She probably had to burn away all the cuts she'd given herself for being so unpleasant over the years. It's a shame how ugly her soul was, because she was really good-looking otherwise. Now as a practice, I tried never to remember people like this, as there's no need to inherit the baggage of those just passing through. And truth be told, it was the memories of people like her which had made some of this joblessness more bearable. While Google attempted to get me back to my house, I continued my search and found a pizza spot I had never been to before. A family-owned spot that had been tucked away somewhere about 30 minutes from my house. It was hard to tell how far I'd driven, with all the rain hitting my windshield the entire time. As I parked and went inside, I was greeted by a figure standing alone behind the counter. Like the rest of us, she was nearly two months into the whole situation, and seemed starved for interaction. When I walked in, I perused the glass case of slices available, and asked her if she could add whatever I wanted on a plain cheese slice. She responded by telling me, of course, and then suggested a few of her favorites. After giving her my order, I stood there and was about to open up my phone when she started to engage me in conversation, asking at first how the whole thing had been treating me. Pleasantly surprised, I took the bait, and we went on to talk while my choice of toppings baked into the top of my slice. In talking, she went on to tell me that her family owned the place. She was finishing up her graduate degree, and the new online class situation had given her the option of putting in more time at her family spot. She hated to admit it made it happier than she thought it would during all of this. We continued speaking from a distance, and after more time than should have passed, passed. She interrupted herself with a quick, oh shit, and opened up the oven. Admitting to me the slice had become a bit burnt on the bottom, she offered to replace it with another, and then threw in a third, joking that the cook would never notice it's missing. Clearly I'd come out a winner in this situation, so there was no reason to argue with her kindness. Even though, as I had said, I just wanted one slice. When the pizza was ready the second time around, she boxed it up and apologized again. Seriously, no worries, I told her. Having not yet paid, I asked her the total, and she told me three twenty-five. Not bad, I thought. When I went to hand her some cash, she put her finger up to pause me for a moment, while she looked for another pair of gloves, at which point my eyes were met by a familiar burnt rose tattoo staring back at me. Caught by reality, I lost my train of thought, and she soon tried to bring me back. Are you okay? She asked me as she picked up on the direction of my gaze. Just the marks of a veteran, she said, as she pointed her finger over at the oven. Tables now turned, I took a moment to look into the same set of eyes I had so many times wanted to just acknowledge me as a person and not as a servant. Even as she scurried around looking for a new set of gloves, I found myself curiously trying to keep her eyes in my grasp as long as I could. Behind her mask, I saw a kindness in those eyes that I had never been given the chance to notice before. Blue as could be. Pure in color, pure in intention. Standing there, covered by my own mask, I knew she wouldn't recognize my face the next time we saw each other, and there was no reason to expect a different version of her other than the one I was used to seeing. But then again, she would see a different me. 
Thanks for the extra slice, I told her as I left and retreated to my car, where I finished my first slice of pizza in weeks, and then the second. I do not want to live in a world where we need to wear masks. How do we experience human connection? And how do we thrive and feel personal fulfillment when we're not allowed to show our faces? How do I show my love, my laughter, or even my joy? How do I show my sorrow, sadness, madness, or even my pain? How do I comfort, console, rejoice, or even celebrate with my peers, my friends, coworkers, or even my family? How will anyone know how to deal with one another ever again if we always have to wear a mask? I want to revolt. I want to test the waters. I want my freedom. I want my job. But then I think about the little boy sitting in the ER alone because he has COVID and we are not allowed to be by his side. No one is allowed to be by his side except for strangers. I remember that a wife never got to say goodbye to her husband. A friend didn't know it was the last time they would be together. A daughter never got to see her dad again. I want to scream. I get manic with anger. I get unbelievably frustrated. Then I breathe deep and find the mental strength to remind myself just who I am. I am a mother. I am a wife. And I will go without anything and everything I need to in order to keep my family safe. I will let people know when I am struggling. I will be there to lift a friend's spirits any way I can. I will breathe. I will survive and I will take care of my family. The days may seem eternal, but the years will fly by. I no longer want to know how many are sick, how much longer we will be in pause, or how long we will not be able to return to work. I want to hear my friends say hi, my children laugh, my husband sing. I want my family to call, my job to wait, because I do not care how much room they have for us in the ER until my government tells me they have a solution, a vaccine, or a cure. I'm not risking my children's lives. We will stay in our bubble. They say any coincidence worth mentioning is evidence of a connection to a collective intelligence. I remember discussing this, but I misunderstood the relevance. It was too complex, I guess. I wasn't ready yet, but now I understood what you meant when you said, Memories are just unchecked perspectives of reality, placed and spaced in practice practicality. Forgive the informality, but we still can't see. The signs of life, they don't shine bright, pointing out a path like a guiding light. The signs of life, they don't look right, pointing to a world with an end in sight. Literally speaking in figuratives, painting broad strokes with my fingertips. If you're interested in the intricacies of spiritualness, you'll find clearance sales on spiritual experiences. I fear it's way more serious than this, but I don't want to sound like a delirious conspiracy theorist. Because this rhetoric is not theoretical. That's too clinical. That's too medical. When referencing the hypothetical, hyperpathetically speaking, they are tweaking a signal that is peaking. It's sneaking into our conscience and sequencing our thoughts until we believe in what is false and we see what is not real, I feel. They are decisively dividing us into slices of cities gripped by vices, compartmentalizing us, then bifurcating society into two sides, so we'll fight and forget why. We're here. We are here. Why? 
Are we here? Quarantine started, and so did my to-do lists. With nowhere to go and nothing to do, why not take advantage of this unexpected gift of time? I love the feeling of accomplishment, the high that comes from checking each item off. Clean closets, wash windows, paint moldings, check, check, check. If I complete the list and there's daylight left, I'll just add more. The more the better, right? But I'm not sure any of us really expected this to last so long. Three weeks in, and I was playing out of projects. And if I confront the truth, staying busy has always been my addiction of choice. To help me avoid the realities I don't want to face. I have been fortunate during this pandemic. I still have my job and continue to be paid. Paid to stay put and wait patiently for it to reopen. My husband, luckily, is able to work from home. We are safe and healthy, as are all our loved ones, thank God. So what was I trying to avoid? I was avoiding the loss of normal days, the fact that I no longer really needed to get up and get dressed in the morning, that my sense of purpose seemed precarious. I was avoiding the question of how to make the days of this interminable season have some real sense of meaning. And while I know I am blessed, I was avoiding uncertainty, the fact that absolutely everything right now is so, so very fragile. I listened to a podcast the other day, which related the five stages of grief that you'd feel at a time of loss to what many of us are feeling now, the loss being life as we know it. The five stages mentioned are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'm sure you can see how clearly these apply. But what I found most interesting was that this co-author chose to add a sixth stage after experiencing the sudden loss of his own young son, and at that stage is meaning. He makes it clear that his intention is not to sugarcoat grief or make light of it in any way, shape, or form, but that he felt that if he could come through it changed somehow for the better, then the loss was not in vain. It could claim no victory. So I wondered how I might come through changed after quarantine, and here is what I've come up with. I need to stop running and hiding in this self-created illusion that accomplishing more equals greatness or deserves admiration. Life has seasons, a time for every matter or purpose under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3.1. There are certainly times to be busy, but right now, for me anyway, it is time to be still. I have done all I can do. Now I must wait. And in that waiting, feel. It's been a roller coaster ride these last few weeks, filled with moments of both highs and lows. Some days are hard and scary and definitely monotonous, but in slowing down, I have realized that some days, even in all this, are absolutely amazing. I've taken hikes and bike rides with my grown kids, sat in my daughter's backyard, at a safe distance, of course and watched my grandkids play in the sun. I've lingered in bed in the mornings, talking to my husband, and have been sipping my first cup of coffee out on the front porch as the sun is rising, taking a moment to say an extra prayer for the world. I've heard it said that people still got married during the Holocaust, and babies were still born during the Depression. Something about that seems so beautiful to me, 
the desire of the human spirit to find happiness at all costs. My life seems heightened, for better or worse, and even the simplest of things seem incredibly poignant. I hope this change in me gains momentum, or at least doesn't fade away completely when things go back to normal, whenever that is. This morning, I read Ecclesiastes for reinforcement. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Weep, laugh, mourn, dance, check, 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 check. Old habits do die hard.